Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today, as we continue in our series, The Life of Samuel, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, will deliver a message regarding the disobedient sons of Eli the priest. You can follow along with this message in 1 Samuel 2, 12 through 36. You can also find weekly message outlines and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood Church app. Chase your voice in the dark. This is our second message in the series, Belonging to God. And in this series, we are focusing on, we'll actually survey the life of Samuel. Today's message is entitled, Dishonoring God. Now, who was Samuel? Say it again. Hannah's son, that's a, good, that's a good identifier. What else? What did he do? What was his role? He was a judge. He was a prophet. And his, the other one? Also priest. Yeah. Today's passage portrays God as very serious about sin. Especially among spiritual leaders of his people. And I want to warn you. We will see some aspects of God's nature and observe some harsh harsh actions that might make us uncomfortable. Are you willing to look? Because here's the thing I always tell you. You can disregard what I say always and always check whatever I say by the Scripture. And above all, be led by the Spirit's confirmation of what is true. But when the Spirit is speaking, don't disregard that. Is that fair? You all right with that, Jamie? But see, here's the problem. A lot of us have assembled our own theology of God that we're quite comfortable with. But when we really look at the Scripture, sometimes it doesn't line up. So would I rather have my view of God or God's view of God? Our theme verse today is Galatians 6, 7. You can take out your message guide and your outline is on the first two panels. There are questions as well to um, think through the message today. I urge you to be part of a small group where you discuss these things that everybody shares. Offer your life, you know, combined with other folks. You say, well, I can't be in a small group. Well, then get one other person. But take some time and let God's word, not Perry's words, let God's words ruminate in your life so that they'll make a difference. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. That sounds like Old Testament, doesn't it? It's not. In fact, it was written long after Jesus left the earth by Paul. Don't be deceived means self-deceived. In other words, we're not just going to get away with whatever we want to do and God overlook it. Is that what it's saying? God is not mocked. You see, we we sometimes categorize God as the Old Testament God, the New Testament God. Is that fair? Anybody ever do that? And you think the Old Testament God is kind of the grumpy grandpa and he's always in a bad mood. Is that, what do you think? Is that right? But the New Testament God, he's that winsome God in the rocker who's always blowing kisses. But how did God change? Why do you change? Through Jesus, that's the perfect one. What else? But how do you just change? Get tired of being grumpy, just change your behavior. But look at this. Now, sometimes we change for the better, and sometimes we change for the worse, right? But what we, the reason we change 
has to be something that happens in us. Fundamental. We get a new perspective. We, we may improve by gaining some helpful new awareness. We may just mature. We ought to change this because we've matured. But again, that's gaining new insight. That's gathering a new perspective. Well, can God gain new insight? Can God get a new perspective? Does God need to grow up? Then God can't change. He relates to us differently because of Christ, but the nature, the character, the person, the being of God cannot change. So we begin at 1 Samuel chapter 2, and we'll look first at verse 11. And we are going to be on pages 225 and 226 in this Bible that we sell, the New Living Translation. Then Elkanah returned home to Ramah without Samuel. That's a sad sentence, isn't it? And the boy served the Lord by assisting Eli the priest. Okay, Samuel was allowed to remain home with his mother Hannah until he was weaned. How long did it take at this time in Israel's history? Can you imagine the calluses? I mean, come on, three years? I've read of cultures that went to five. Aren't you glad you're not in that culture? After three years at home with his mother, which is, as I told you too, that, that neurological studies show that that's a, that's a very strategic, significant period of time in the development of a child emotionally, mentally, even physically. Gaining, he develops, he or she develops security to a large extent in those first three years. That'll be reflected the rest of the life. So it's a significant time, but it was still only three years. And then he was taken to the tabernacle where he would belong to God and serve him the rest of his life. Seems a little tragic, doesn't it? If we're honest, doesn't it seem tragic? But understand this, this isn't the loss of a child, but it is the deliverance of a child to serve God. And really, it's what we ought to all be doing with our children. Offering, training, preparing them to spend their lives serving God. Now, after Samuel arrived in Eli's household, y'all moved. Y'all don't know this, but I know where most of you sit. In fact, I even see y'all talking to each other and punching each other when I say certain things. So I know I've got lots of information. After Samuel arrived in Eli's household, we get a glimpse into the way Eli's sons were serving and relating to God. And so we're going to use their experience to reflect on the consequences of dishonoring God. And so the theme of my message today is dishonoring God. And I show, how, I show four different perspectives through this passage today. First, dishonoring God includes rejecting God's direction. So we're at 1 Samuel 2, beginning at verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were scoundrels. Literally, sons of Belial. If you're holding something besides a new living, what does it say about these sons? What word do you have? Wicked. What else? Say it again. Faith. Base. Oh, base. Debased. You have anything else? Worthless. Corrupt is another one. Someone may have said that. Not very nice things to have said about you. None of them. And they were scoundrels, they were worthless men, they were corrupt men, they were debased men who had no respect for the Lord. Now the Hebrew word translated there, respect, is yada, and it, it actually more literally means didn't know. 
didn't know. But it, it, their shades of didn't know, either they were completely unaware or they ignored. So they weren't focused on, they weren't connected to, they weren't concentrating on. So they had no respect for the Lord or for their duties as priests. Now these two priests undoubtedly knew about God because they were employed as priests in the tabernacle. That was Israel's holiest place. And, and God is believed to have actually touched down in that place. Where in particular in that place? In the Holy of Holies, but more particular than that. On the mercy seat. Man, you deserve a star or something. <laughs> Give this man a cookie from that, those we saved from last week. The, the, the cherubim sat on the gold mercy seat on top of the Ark of Covenant. They faced away. Their, their wings almost touched. And it was believed that the Shekinah of God, the, the light presence of his glory, touched down right there. And so that's why they would pray to God in the tabernacle. Or if away from there, they would pray toward the Holy of Holies. Believing that God's presence actually touched down on that spot. So this is a, a, a holy, supernatural spot. And these men worked there day in and day out. They knew what they were supposed to do because their father was the chief priest. But they lacked something important. They lacked personal, relational knowledge of God which led to them being unconcerned about his honor indifferent about him and because of that they ignored his commands here's an example of what they were doing at verse 13 whenever anyone offered a sacrifice Eli's sons would send over a servant with a three-pronged fork. And while the meat of the sacrificed animal was still boiling, the servant would stick the fork into the pot and demand that whatever it brought up be given to Eli's sons. Switch to the next page. All the Israelites who came to worship at Shiloh were treated this way. All the Israelites who came were treated this way. So it had been ongoing. It, didn't, it wasn't just one mistake. It was the practice. Sometimes the servant would come even before the animal's fat had been burned on the altar. And he would demand raw meat before it had been boiled so that it could be used for roasting. This practice isn't scriptural at in any part. So how did it come about? This boiling the meat and the guy with the fork and he's... It had been do, going on for a while. Now maybe it was created by Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Maybe it had been created by some priests before them. Because why would they have done it? You ever had boiled meat? It's not as good as meat off the grill, is it? So see, and they weren't worried about pleasing God. Who did they want to please? They wanted to satisfy their own appetites their way instead of obeying God. Sounds pretty descriptive of American Christianity, doesn't it? I want to be saved, but I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, and I want to disregard what this word says. Now, were these priests supposed to be eating this sacrificial food, this, this, this meat? Were they? Were they? Were they? 
Y'all need to go back to Sunday school. Yes. The priests were supposed to eat part of the sacrifices. Priests who were Levites were supported entirely by what the people brought to the tabernacle. Money, meat, grain, wine, everything they received was part of a sacrifice to God first. Levites, y'all may not know this, Levites received no land when the promised land was divided. You know why? Because God wanted them dependent on him for everything. So they didn't even, they had no dirt to grow their own vegetables, to raise their own wheat. So it was appropriate that they would receive part of it. But the scriptures in the Mosaic law, Mosaic just means from Moses, specified exactly what was to be given. Deuteronomy 13 talks about the shoulder, the cheeks, and the stomach regarding certain, certain sacrifice. Leviticus 7 says in the peace offering, you should receive the breast and the right thigh. So there were several different offerings. And in each case, when the offering was of meat... It specifies what the priest was to receive. So it was, it was right for him to receive. But he was saying, no, no. I'm tired of breast and thigh. I want what I want. Furthermore, then let's go on with verse 16. The man offering the sacrifice, you know, when he's been accosted by this servant, might reply, well, you can take as much as you want. But the fat must be burned first. Then the servant would demand, No, give it to me now or I'll take it by force. So these two priests, who certainly knew better and didn't care, sent their servant to take what belonged to God. Because the fat from several inner organs was to be completely burned up. No part was to be given to the priest. And so they didn't care. They liked the marbled meat. They wanted the fat. They wanted what they wanted to satisfy their appetites. And while doing it, while they were taking what really belonged to God, they were also preventing people from offering appropriate sacrifices to God. They were trying to sacrifice for their sins, and the priests were getting in the way. And it's a serious offense when a man or woman of God starts misleading people into disobedience. So the sin of these young men was very serious in the Lord's sight. For they treated the Lord's offerings with contempt. It's frightening, isn't it? Here's what I think. And you know what happens when I say I think. You get to, don't just disregard it, but consider it. Pray over it. Think about it. I think if they had truly known God, they would not, they could not have dishonored him by disregarding his commands so fragrantly. Flagrantly. They didn't care. They neither loved nor feared God. Or they would have obeyed. You know, we obey today. Not out of fear of punishment, but out of love for God. His commands aren't burdensome because we love him. That's like remaining faithful to your spouse. If you love your spouse, it's not burdensome to be faithful, is it? It's not hard to be kind and thoughtful. John 14, 23 and 24, 1 John 5, 3. 
These men as priests were supposed to lead the people of God in obedience. They were supposed to teach people how to worship God appropriately. But they just had a religious vocation. They just had a job that allowed them to manipulate and exploit people to fulfill personal desires. And God holds spiritual leaders to a higher standard. Not only in Old Testament times, but even today. Because, and I, I say this humbly, but we, should know, we must know that we influence the faith of many, many people. You know, Jesus once said, don't cause these children to stumble. And he was talking about actual children, but he was also talking about immature believers. And he said, anyone that causes one of these young ones to stumble... Let me tell you, it would be better to hang a millstone around your neck and be thrown into a pond. James 3 also says, don't seek to be a teacher because teachers are held by a stricter standard. We dishonor God also by reflecting our culture. Now, it's interesting in this passage, we see the evil of Eli's sons, and then we see the contrast of the way Samuel was living. And the way he was being brought up. Verse 18. But Samuel, though he was only a boy, served the Lord. He wore a linen garment, an ephod, like that of a priest. But this was probably just a simple tunic. Each year, his mother made a small coat for him. Probably would have had to have been a little bigger each, each year. She knitted or sewed it or, and brought it to him when, he, when she came with her husband for the sacrifice. Now, that refers to once a year. I think she probably came more than once a year. It's 12 and a half miles away, which wasn't far for them. But Hannah didn't forget her son. And I think in addition to sewing him a new coat every year, she might have visited him more than annually. At least that's what I think. How often would she have thought about him? Kimberly, how often do you think about your kids? Every day. Never out of your mind, are they? Never out of your mind. You think she prayed for him? How often? Every day. About everything. You know, you moms aren't literally, not many of you are sewing clothes today. Some of you may be. But you're knitting garments for your children to wear every day. You are covering your child with what you believe and who you are. You've heard me say that um, I wasn't a, a believer, Christian until I was a senior in college. But my mother was. My mother died in November. And even though I wasn't a believer, I wasn't living like a believer, I never had a day of doubt about my mother's God. She lived it. She taught it. She dragged us to everything the church ever did. And it soaked in. It soaks in. And so you moms, every day you're knitting another row of what will cover your child for his or her life. Proverbs 22, 6 says, raise up a child in the way he or she should go. And when that child's old, he will never depart from it. Verse 20. Before they returned home, Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you other children to take the place of this one she gave to the Lord. And the Lord gave Hannah three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, well, let me, I'll come back to that one. Now, 
The point here is that God recognizes and rewards our sacrifices. Giving of our children, giving of our money, giving of our time. Now, Hannah didn't lose this child. But he wasn't growing up in front of her. She gave him back to God. Because she knew God was the source of this blessing. Who's the source of your blessings? Who's the source of your children? Jack, where'd they come from? Who's the source of your income? Who's the source of your time? How much of it are you given to God? Because God rewards, he recognizes and rewards our sacrifices. Mark 10, 28 through 30. And then it says, meanwhile, Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Wait a minute now. Where was Samuel living? Who did he live with? Eli. Eli's sons likely lived there as well. They they may have had wives, but they likely lived at least in a compound. And these guys might have been single. They might have been, you know, still living in the basement. But Samuel was living and working with Hophni and Phinehas. Little Samuel may have been standing there when the servant with the three-pronged fork came and stabbed it into the cauldron. But Samuel wasn't following their influence. Because Samuel grew up in the presence of of the Lord. Now I want you to see this contrast. Wait a minute. Now he grew up among these evil guys. Yes. In the presence of the Lord. We dishonor God. When we reflect the culture. The environment. When we ignore biblical morality. Well, it's not possible for teenagers to be, you know, sexually pure anymore. Yes, it is. But they might need some support to get there. Well, it's not possible. I mean, you need to, the culture is accepting this and the culture is accepting that. God hasn't changed his mind about anything. I don't know who you're listening to. But people, you know, the culture, I know people live according to the culture, not God's people. Y'all didn't hear that, did you? No, no, I mean, people people aren't living according, not God's people. Because God's people live in his presence. Look at this, Romans 12. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Now, it's a work of God. You see what I'm saying? It's not just self-discipline. That, you know, we have a responsibility. But this is something God's working. But you know what? If you want to be changed, you've got to put yourself in a place to be changed. And parents, we have to help our children be put into places to be changed. Then you'll learn to know God's will Which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Because see, as you're being changed, transformed, you know God. And you know what? When you know God, you know what God wants. Y'all don't tell her this, but I don't often have to ask my wife what she wants. Why not? Come on, why not? I already know. Leanne, you want to go out to eat? I don't need to ask that question. You want to go somewhere nice or you want to go to a pizza place? Do I have to ask that question? Well, when you know God, you see, you don't have to keep asking. You know him. Here's what I believe. If we as parents will live godly lives before our children. 
if we will teach them God's word, if we will train them in God's ways, if we will put them before other people, other adult leaders, other you know, teachers, youth pastors, godly people, friends, relatives that love God, put them in front of other people. We can trust God to protect them from this moral compromise that's encouraged by our culture. Our kids went to public school. I'm not saying against thing against Christian schools, but don't let Christian school be your insulator from the culture. It won't. And in public school, they're not victims of the culture, but they will be unless you feel that role. Because let me tell you this, no teacher has the influence on your child's mind, heart, soul that you do as a parent. Listen, I, I went to public school. I went to Catholic high school, actually. I mean, I'm all mixed up. <laughs> Presbyterian seminary, Baptist seminary. A child can be in the presence of God. You and your job can be in the presence of God. You might work for some wicked people. But you can live in the presence of God because God in you is stronger than he who is in the world. Are your children being influenced by this culture? Parents, you have to know this. If you act like, oh, it's on TV, I mean, it's a way the culture, then you pull the plug. I'm going to get radical here a little bit. Let me tell you this. We used to have to go pick our kids up and spend the night, didn't we? They'd be off at somebody's house spending the night, and the mama got some movie the child wanted, and we knew it was too sexualized for what we wanted our child to hear. Guess who got to come home? But, but embarrassment, absolutely embarrassment. Inconvenience. Absolutely inconvenience. They might get left out. Absolutely, I'd want them left out. But you see what I'm saying? We're so scared of this culture. We might be thought of being something weird. We might, somebody might say something unlike us. Our child might not be the most popular. Are you saving their soul? You trying to lead them to God and protect their soul? I got one really outrageous one to say now. We're so culture-minded, you, you have to know what your child's feeding on. You have to know what's influencing your child. You know, it's time to go to college. Well, my child wants to go here. My child, no, 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 no. That, no, that, that's not your child's decision. And if your child isn't morally strong enough to go off to some of these schools, your child needs to be at Greenville Tech. Oh, my gosh, he didn't say that. Perry's in a bad mood. I'm not in a bad mood, Emma. I mean, I want y'all to laugh with me, but I want you to think seriously about how important this is. Look at all these ways we're letting the culture permeate our homes. You can shut some stuff off. We dishonor God also by resisting the direction of our children. Related to the last point. Verse 22. Now Eli was very old. But he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance to the tabernacle. Here's another way they were wicked they dishonored God what are they doing well these women were serving and these men who were in a, a, a position of authority a spiritual position no less were sexually exploiting these women who worked who served at the tabernacle 
And they were actually using their positions to take advantage of these women. Does that sound familiar? Now let me tell you this. We know what's all going on in the culture. I think there's some hypocrisy when some of the ones that are saying, this is awful, this is awful, this is awful, are the same ones that are acting in these movies with nothing on. I think there's some hypocrisy, but it's absolutely true that men in positions of authority and power should be held accountable to respect women. You hear me? So just you can disregard some of it, but, but filter through. Some of this is definitely true, and I think it's a good thing. And exposing politicians, and I don't care which party. Exposing politicians is a good thing because we need godly leaders in business in both political parties. They wouldn't be fighting like cats and dogs, you know, if they had more of God in them, my Lord. But what did their father do about it? What did their father do about it? Verse 23. Eli said to them, I've been hearing reports about you from all these people about the wicked things you're doing. Why do you keep sinning? You must stop, my sons. And the reports I hear among the Lord's people are not good. If someone sins against another person, God can mediate the guilty party. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede? God knows and sees all. And there's no escaping the judgment of God. That's what the verse in Galatians said. You reap what you sow. He said, there is no one to mediate between man and God. Now, let me say, you said, but wait a minute. We do have a mediator. Yes, we do. And if you are born again, you have a mediator between you and God. Now, we're responsible for our sins, but we're not going to be judged for them in the same way. Doesn't mean no discipline, and I'll deal with that in a second. But we do have a mediator in the family of God. But Eli's sons wouldn't listen to their father. For the Lord was already planning to put them to death. Does that verse disturb you? I mean, I I find that verse very disturbing. Because Eli's son's willful dishonor and disobedience of God, as well as their damaging influence on others, God decided to put them to death. Does God really do this? Come on, I want to hear all the way to the back. Does God really do stuff like this? You can say, say what you think. Bill, what's that bunch back there saying? How about the riser crowd up there, the cheap seats? What are y'all saying up there? Oh, Lord, I like that. Y'all better be careful saying that, though. You better be careful. Does God really care that much about sin? We thought he had just sort of over it. He did it with Pharaoh. Exodus 7. Romans 9 says he hardened Pharaoh's heart. You ever know any other priest he did this to? Another pair, you know? They offered a sacrifice in an unworthy manner. I don't know what it means exactly, but they used foreign fire or strange fire or something. I don't know what the significance is, but they didn't follow God's directions. And God killed him. Nadab and Abihu. Yeah, but this only happens in the Old Testament. Does it only happen in the Old Testament? Y'all better be careful, be careful. But it doesn't happen to people who are saved, right? Come on, does it happen to people who are saved? Y'all better be careful saying that. 
we see it applied in the New Testament in several occasions. This is a little bit shocking. Among people who are apparently Christians, there was a couple in Acts. You know who they were? Ananias and Sapphira. Dead, dead. Why? They made a contribution. They said they gave more than they gave. Gone. Did they lose their salvation? What'd you say? No, they didn't lose their salvation. You can't. But God took them out of the church. You know, even believers who were participating in the Lord's Supper, y'all forgot this one, 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 33, the ones that were showing up and they were just gorging themselves so that some others got nothing to eat. You know what happened to them according to that passage? You're eating unworthily. That's why many of you are sick and some of you have fallen asleep. Does that word mean dozing? What does it mean? It means dead. Wait a minute now. This cannot be. The New Testament refers to a sin unto death. And it appears to occur when Christians are living in disobedience, yes, but particularly when they're damaging other believers. When they're leading others astray. 1 John 5, 16 and 17. Well, Perry, what's your point in this? You're just trying to scare us? No, I do want us to see God more clearly. I mean, it's just in this passage. I didn't write it. And the point is not to live scared of God. But the point is to become sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Has the Holy Spirit ever shown you something that needs to change? Let me see a hand. Holy Spirit shown you something that needs to change. What should you do? Change. Change. The Holy Spirit is there to conform us to Christ. Because see, you weren't saved to go to heaven just like you are. In fact, sometimes we think that salvation is our sins are forgiven, we live how we want, and still go to heaven. That isn't salvation at all. Salvation is by the death of Christ, you get invited into relationship with God. That begins right now. And deepens and grows more intimate through this life. And you never face permanent death. That's salvation. That relationship continues into what we can't see, into the hereafter. And so the Spirit helps us eliminate what's not conformed to Jesus, what doesn't look like our Savior, and it allows us to communicate with God so we can walk closer and closer to Him, motivated by our love to obey. We're not talking about a God that hates you. We're talking about a God that loves you and wants the best for you. He loves the way any good parent does, doesn't he? Another contrast, verse 26. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew taller and grew in favor with the Lord and with the people. See, they keep saying that, don't they? Because what they're saying is he's not controlled by the environment. He lives in the presence of God in a house with the wicked. Some of you may live in a place or work in a place like that. Mm -mm. He who is within you is greater than he who is sitting in the CEO's office or the managers or even in the bedroom next door. Verse 27. One day a man of God, that's a prophet, came to Eli and gave him this message from the Lord. And these, uh, a messenger would often speak in first person, uh, quoting verbatim the person he's speaking for. In this case, it's a prophet speaking for God. I revealed myself to your ancestors when the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. I chose your ancestor Aaron from among all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer sacrifices on my altar, to burn incense, and to wear the priestly vest. Now, this, is, this isn't just the simple ephod. This is the, the jeweled breastplate. Remember, there were how many jewels on the breastplate? 
12. Beautiful. They were different kinds of jewels. They represented what? Tribes of Israel. And there was a pocket behind it. And what went in the pocket? Not dice, but kind of like dice. (laughs) They were called lots. The Urim and the Thummim, which is how they discovered, discerned God's will at times. You can look at Exodus 28. You can look at Leviticus 16. So that's what it's referring to here. They wore um, the breastplate and they wore the, you know, the, the outfit of the priest. Which if you want to find a good rendition of it, look at uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. But it didn't turn out well for that guy. But We continue. And I assign the sacrificial offerings to you as priests. So why do you, now this is a plural word, so he's really talking about the sons and the father. Why do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings? Why do you give your sons more honor than you give me? For you and they have become fat from the best offerings of my people. They indulge themselves instead of honoring God. This implies that You know, maybe Eli's getting a little off the barbecue as well, doesn't it? He says, you shouldn't do that, but I want the prime rib. (laughs) You shouldn't do this, but give me the loin. Now, Eli, as father, as leading priest, chief priest, and as judge, had the responsibility to control his sons. And he had the Authority to remove them, but he didn't. You think Eli was an evil man? I don't. I think he was a good man, but he was a passive man. He was a fearful man. And so he pleaded with his sons to obey, but he didn't discipline them because he feared their rejection more than God's displeasure. We're acting like Eli when. The environment we're in is more controlling than pleasing God. We too have the responsibility to discipline our children. Drawing lines. Even even as adults, you still draw a godly line. Discipline isn't rejection. Discipline, according to Hebrews 12, is proof of what? It's proof of love. If I love my children, I must do for them what they may not even choose to do for themselves. So they receive what's best even when they don't have the wisdom or maturity to choose it. That's discipline. That's discipline. We put children under parental discipline. So they learn how to discipline themselves so they'll submit to the discipline of God. And then dishonoring God. I don't have any time to to preach this part, so I'm just going to summarize it. What happened as a consequence is that God took away the priesthood from Eli's family. It was supposed to be in Eli's line forever. And God said, I'm going to stop it. And from now on, in the future, your, your sons will not be priests. No one will live to an old age in your family line. They're all going to die young. Someone, another line will be the priest. And to prove to you that what I'm telling you is true, your two sons will die on the same day. Now, the confirmation of a prophet is that whatever a prophet says must be true or else what happened? He was put to death. If anything he said didn't come true. Matthew 8, I mean Deuteronomy 18. Then he said he would raise up a faithful priest. Now the faithful priest, you think, oh, it's Samuel. No, it's more likely Zadok, who served under both David and Solomon. And then he closes and says, and your family will end up begging these others for jobs. Because remember, priests didn't have land. Priests relied on what was given at the tabernacle. And, and so your people will end up pleading, please give us something so we have enough to eat. 
God withdrew the ble- his blessing from Eli's line. Does that mean he'll withdraw our salvation? You said, does this mean losing your No, 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 no. But here's why. Your, your salvation, if you're born again, isn't based on your behavior. Your salvation is based on depending on Jesus' behavior. And his sacrifice for you and him being completely obedient causes God to see you as obedient as well. And not only are you saved in that way by faith, but you're sealed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean God won't discipline us. His discipline is proof of his love. It's proof of his concern for our lives. Our counselors, if you'll come to the front as I close with prayer. And I want to tell you, next Sunday, we have Antioch's, today's Antioch Church. Today's Antioch Fellowship is a local church. And they're going to lead worship with us next week. And I I think it'll be an enjoyable time. What would you say, David, earlier? It's going to be hopping. So you come back and bring someone with you that needs to be exposed to some hopping. Father, we thank you for this word. Teach us that it's true. Help us to follow. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. If you have any questions about this message or you would like to request prayer, we encourage you to visit our website at brookwoodchurch.org forward slash get help. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.